Welcome to DexGuru Talk Show. DexGuru is your DeFi trading terminal, charting, on-chain analytics, trading, the most effective for the road and with zero X API. At DexGuru Talk Show, we talk about people and projects in DeFi, Web3 and crypto. My name is Roman, and I am the host. We are conducting a series of interviews with people who build the future of decentralized finance. We are all human beings. We believe that people follow people when they make trading and investing decisions. Therefore, we focus on the person, not current news. And today, we want to focus on our incredible guest, Francesca Renzi, CEO and co-founder of Superfluid. Without further ado, let's begin. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Francesca. It's exciting to have you here. Thanks, Roman. For starters, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners and give a bit of a background about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Francesco. I'm uh, CEO and one of the co-founders at Superfluid. I've been in, uh, in the crypto space since 2017. I joined when there was peak hysteria. For those that uh, missed out, it was uh, about as crazy as last year, but uh, er- much, much earlier, right? Uh, if you think of 2017, it was like everybody was going crazy, but they were going crazy about nothing. Right. There was no, there were no real products. DeFi didn't exist. Uh, NFTs didn't exist. Most of this stuff was just kind of um, still very far in the future. But it was still very exciting for me. I joined the space uh, almost immediately. As soon as I found out about it, I kind of dropped everything I was doing, started working in crypto full time, um, in, initially uh, doing mostly marketing. And then I basically taught myself to code, met my co-founder, started working together on um, more technologically interesting projects. And we kind of worked together for about a year and a half doing consulting projects. And then we started working on our own DeFi projects. So we started building some um, prototypes. We built a DeFi protocol in 2019 called Ardai. And that got us quite a bit of attention. It was one of the first uh, DAI derivatives. This was, again, way before DeFi summer. And after that, basically, we came up with the idea for Superfluid, and we met our third co-founder, and then that's basically when we started working on Superfluid full-time. So that was uh, about early 2020, so it's now two years ago. Uh, feels like uh, a really, really, really long time. Um, but yeah, been in crypto since 2017, which is now, I guess, yeah, over four years ago, almost five. So you said you dropped everything, and uh, what exactly attracted you to industry? What were you up to before? Um, before that, I was doing, I was working in the education industry, actually. Um, what attracted me to crypto is, I guess, the, the the fact that it's very deep in a lot of different aspects, right? So first of all, it's a very uh, groundbreaking technology, right? It has a lot of uh, potential political, economical um, even social impact potential. But at the same time, you know, it's deeply rooted in technology. It's uh, rooted in ec- economics. So I found that just uniquely fascinating, right? There's not that many uh, industries where you, you get exposed to radical economic fraud as well as cutting-edge technology by the same people at the same time, right? And that was just uh, too interesting to ignore. Uh, I've always been interested in economics, but I never had the opportunity to be so exposed to it. So, and uh, what was your aha moment into DeFi? What was uh, the point 
of no return. Hmm, interesting. So, okay, for crypto itself, it was actually prediction markets. So I found out about prediction markets, which were a very hot topic in 2017. Uh, some of you might remember that one of the first fully-fledged dApps to launch was Augur, actually, which was a prediction market, right? Not very successful by today's standards, but at the time it was fairly revolutionary how it was, you know, permissionless, it was decentralized, it was immutable, and it was a fully-fledged working uh, decentralized application, right? So that was one of my first uh, kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, aha moments where I really got excited about, you know, the possibility for crypto to coordinate people towards new goals. After that, for, for more specifically DeFi, right? I think it was really probably Compound. Like, I, I never really got MakerDAO at the beginning. Uh, you know, obviously I heard about it. The idea of a stablecoin makes sense. But the idea of uh, leverage wasn't intuitive to me, like the idea of uh, basically borrowing against uh, against uh, Ether. I don't have a, a financial background, right? So all of this stuff is stuff I've learned uh, since then. But at the time, that didn't make too much sense to me. But then Compound came around and, you know, I could put, put dollars in and make an interest, right? That was so obvious and so compelling uh, that we immediately decided to build uh, a product on it. Around the same time as we built our our own um, DAI derivative, there was also Pull Together, which came out, right? And Pull Together had has this concept of the no loss lottery, which was also extremely interesting. And funnily enough, it's the product that has helped me um, showcase the most people the value of DeFi in the early days. It was very hard to tell people about MakerDAO and get them excited, but pulled together, made a lot of sense, right? And I think it's uh, it's important for us to have these kinds of very intuitive examples to share with people so that we can quickly get them excited about DeFi without telling them about crazy stuff like leverage trading. Great. Uh, a lot have changed in DeFi from the time when you started. What changed sentiment compared to now? Well, I mean, nowadays it's... It's almost uh, canon. It's you know, it's it's kind of uh, mainstream belief that DeFi is the future. I can assure you that was not the case at all. Like it, it was really not the case. Um, I was. I remember even just uh, two years ago, just before DeFi summer, people were still extremely skeptical about this whole thing. Right? People didn't think any of this made sense. Uh, scalability was simply you know, everybody said, this won't work. If it works, it won't scale, so it won't work, right? That was kind of the the most common thing. Obviously, there were a lot of contrarian investors, but they were considered contrarian investors. While at the moment, if you go and check, um, you know, anyone saying, oh, DeFi is the future, nobody's even going to contest that, right? It's, it's just standard. It's normal. So the sentiment has definitely changed around DeFi. Um at the same time, now we're entering a, another phase for crypto where there's a new hot topic, which are NFTs, right? But I think NFTs won't really end up being that interesting unless we build, unless we financialize them, basically, which is already starting and I think is, you know, going to be a very big, um, a very big, big thing. And as NFTs are financialized, that will, you know, in turn bring in a new wave of DeFi products, which I'm quite excited about. 
what I can say is it was a very different period. Like two years ago, you wouldn't see none of the products that exist right now would have worked and would have made sense. Um, go and actually, uh, I'll challenge everyone to who wasn't around to go and check out what the yield on compound was two years ago, exactly two years ago from now. The yields in DeFi went to almost zero. So that gives you an idea, right? <laughs> like imagine a DeFi with zero yield, right? Well, why was there zero yield? There was zero yield because nobody was taking loans because everybody was bearish, right? Now there's a high yield because people are taking loans because they want to lever up because they're bullish, right? So imagine how much that's uh, changed since two years ago. So time is with proves skeptics wrong. <laughs> time and builders. Totally, totally. Builders right. like you. You got to stick around and build. Uh, I'm telling you, two year, there were two really brutal years between, uh, well, all of 2018, um, all of 2019, and the beginning of 2020 were brutal. You know, there were, it was, it was really, really bad. Like people, people were losing money. I was losing money, you know. Uh, it was very, very hard to get investments, like really, really impossible. We were pitching investors every day, getting rejections every day. Um, now it's very different. Time's pr- definitely proven us right, and we were right to stick around and build. And I'm glad we did, and I'm you know, proud of the fact that we didn't drop out when the market uh, was trying to convince us we were wrong, because we weren't. You know, We were right, and we stuck around, and we're still building. So talking about the product, how did you came up with the idea? So we came up with Superfluids basically when we were looking very deeply at how the ERC-20 token standard works and just looking at how it uh, it was implemented in most token contracts led us to to basically realize that we could do a lot more without breaking the standard. And if you look at Superfluid today, it's basically a token standard which enables you to stream money, right? But the token standard is still intact. Like Superfluid uh, enabled tokens are ERC-20 tokens. They simply are a lot more than the ERC-20 tokens that we were used to. And again, that that started by simply looking at what the standard was and, you know, really understanding how it worked and how it was implemented and what the opportunities were, and then uh, basically going with probably the most radical thing we could think of, which was let's uh, encode arbitrary streams of money into uh, tokens themselves. And uh, that's how we started. Eventually, we realized that uh, these kinds of perpetual money streams could be very useful for subscriptions, could be very useful for salaries, could be very useful for things like um, NFT rentals, but also loan repayments, interest payments, you know, all sorts of different use cases where basically these continuous cash flows made sense. And we got really excited about it because, you know, it's something that didn't exist. It's something that was new. Um, it, it felt like, a, you know, a significant kind of technological improvement over the status quo. And also it felt like the missing piece to bring DeFi to the real world use cases. So, that was something we were always and still are extremely interested in. Like we're not building DeFi to kind of, you know, build these uh, imaginary uh, Ponzi scheme use cases. We're more interested in providing people with value, 
right? Helping people to get paid, helping businesses to make money, helping, uh, you know, open source developers to get recurring donations that enable them to keep building. Like these really tangible use cases are what excites us in the space. So we immediately saw that, you know, making payments more scalable and making payments more useful would uh, help propel the the industry forward. So it was something we we were pretty convinced early on we would we would like to dedicate ourselves to, even though I can assure you building a payment startup in 2020, uh, already 2020, but even before that in 2019 when we came up with the idea, it was pretty contrarian and very, very crazy. I mean, investors were like, what are you talking about? This makes no sense. Nobody's going to use this. Nobody needs this. Build something like, um, you know, build an NFT project or, <laughs> you know, people were telling us to, to try all sorts of other things. Nobody believed in what we were doing at the beginning. Um, but we, yeah, we thought it was, uh, it was worth doing. It was worth committing to this idea of, uh, building recurring payments for web free. And I'm glad we did. Can you please uh, explain to me and our listeners, like I am five years old, uh, how exactly is the product working? What it does? I can explain what it does. I'm not sure I can explain how it's working like you're five, but <laughs> I can try. Um, so what you can do with Superfluid is basically send recurring payments in the form of money streams. Money streams are basically the web-free way of sending recurring payments where instead of paying once every two weeks or once a month, you're paying every second. So it's a lot more granular. It's a lot more uh, continuous, right? And basically what it does is it changes money from something you use once uh, once every so often to something you, you can spend or receive in a continuous way. So it, it turns money from a lump uh, sum to a continuous flow. And the way it works, so how can we enable these continuous streams of money to work without requiring users to make a number of transactions without requiring users to um, approve an intermediary. Well, the way it works is by rebuilding ERC-20 tokens to include this functionality in the token itself. And that's the key uh, innovation that we did was rather than basically trying to build, um, build fancy applications on top of the tokens, which we believed were we're not really living up to their potential. What we did was rebuild the token standard itself. So Superfluid can be seen as a DeFi protocol. It can be seen as a token standard. And if you look at how we achieve perpetual streams, it's by uh, basically hacking the balance function of ERC-20 tokens. Sounds extremely exciting. How did you validate it, uh, your idea at first? Well, that, that's uh, tricky. So we validated it from a technical point of view very quickly. So we, we quickly built an MVP uh, to prove to ourselves that it was possible and then to prove um, to investors that it was possible. But if you look at, if you're asking me for market validation, to be completely honest, there there wasn't any. Like, <laughs> in fact, um, most people thought yeah. we were crazy. <laughs> I want to play every second. Sorry? 
of course, who wants to play every second? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I think sometimes when you have a crazy idea, asking too many people if it makes sense is not the right way to go because you're not going to build it. Like people are going to tell you that it's a crazy idea, you know, because it is a crazy idea. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't build it. And, you know, sometimes I think that's the difference between, um, I guess, the idea, the the difference between um, kind of user-centric building and moonshot building, right? Like if you're always asking the users what they want, you end up building things that everybody expects you to build. Well, if you think it if you if you have a vision for the future which is different to what most people would uh, agree on but you really believe it and you think you're right and you find the right people to support you you have the opportunity to basically build something which everybody you ask is going to say is crazy but still make it a reality right and i think people are easily more easily convinced with examples than with um, kind of abstract idea speak So, you know, if you ask any of the people who are now getting their salary paid every second, if they would like to go back to getting paid every month, I I can assure you none of them do, right? Like, it doesn't make sense for you to get paid every second if what you're used to is getting paid for every month. But the moment you get paid every second, you're not going back. And that tells us that while it sounds crazy, it's actually a good idea. And all we need to do is put this technology in the hands of more people getting more people to use this to understand its value to them, and then it won't sound as crazy anymore. So you bended reality with the power of intent. <laughs> that's that's uh, that, Those are better words than I chose, yeah. But it sounds good. Where did you get the funding for it? Well, as I said, it was it was really really hard to get funding uh, at the beginning. Uh, in 2020, there was not much money. I, re- I remember speaking to all these crypto investors at East Denver um, two years ago, and everybody was like, oh, this makes no sense. People are you should build uh, a futures exchange. You should build an options exchange. You should build an AMM. You know, Balancer had just come out, so that was kind of the the hottest thing at the time. How did we get the funding? Well, we got the funding by by basically getting rejected enough times and by the law of big numbers, we eventually found someone that said yes. Um, but it's uh, it was it was hard. It was hard, man. Um, we we got a lot of rejections when we started. Uh, again, I'm glad we we kept going and uh, we assisted. But eventually, we, we found some uh, VC investors that had our backs that believed. Um, I guess they believed that we were crazy enough to keep going until we made it uh, more than rather the idea itself. Because, you know, looking back, it was probably a very bad pitch and we were probably, you know, just some kind of uh, inexperienced uh, entrepreneurs. But I'm glad we, we pushed forward. And again, we found some people who believed us. And now we found more people this year that believed us. And now we're, you know, growing a community of people that believe that this is what the future looks like. And yeah, we're very excited to keep growing that that community and keep attracting more people towards uh, this idea of uh, a future where where money flows every second. How did you handle so much pressure? Uh, I mean, it wasn't that much pressure. I wouldn't I wouldn't use that word. Um, but I guess what what would you use? I mean, there was a, there were a lot of rejections, right? So. I think for anyone who's 
for anyone who sets out to, you know, build a company and raise money, you just got to prepare yourself to hear no so many times, you know? Um, so I think, um, what investors look for in entrepreneurs is resolve, right? And if you don't have that, you're not going to manage to raise money, right? That said, nowadays the investment landscape is very different. Um, it's much easier to raise in crypto than in traditional startups. At the time, it was the opposite. It was much harder to raise in crypto. So I guess just convinced in what we're doing, you know, I mean, as I said, when, when I joined crypto in 2017, I dropped everything to, to, uh, to work in this industry. So I wasn't going to change my mind. Even, even one month is a long period in a fast paced crypto space and, uh, the crypto landscape obviously evolved while you were in the product. Does it affect what decisions you have made on scope or features? That's a very good question. Um, we try to not be too, um, to not be too sensitive to market cycles because we've been in the industry long enough to know that they are cycles, right? Um, if you're new to the industry, everything seems like it's the ultimate thing, right? Like everybody joining the industry now probably thinks NFTs are the, the final stage of crypto, right? The, the best thing that's ever happened. We're never going to come up with a better idea, right? And if you joined uh, one or one and a half years ago, you would have said the same thing about DeFi, right? You would have thought, oh, DeFi is the best thing ever. We're never going to come up with something new. Well, the, the truth is in such a fast-paced industry, we come up with something new so often that you can't let the fashion of the day basically influence what you build because development cycles are much longer than hype cycles, which means if you follow a hype cycle, you end up, you, you end up delivering by the time the hype cycle is over. So the way we generally think about building um, a protocol like Superfluid, which is meant to, you know, power recurring payments in Web3 on the long term, in the long run, is not by thinking what's hot today. It's about thinking what do we have to build so that tomorrow, you know, a million more people can use this technology, right? So we're not trying to, to, we're not trying to cater to the, the fashion of today, but rather to the potential we can deliver tomorrow. I think it's, it's a great answer. Long term planning always beats short term. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe we should sell NFTs instead. I don't know. I, I, I change my mind every now and then. You know? <laughs> um, recurrent payment is a uh, is pretty sensitive area, and I'm sure our listeners uh, want to know a little bit more about how did you handle security in the product? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to say, our first of all, we have really good engineers. Um, they spend a lot of time doing... Um, basically peer reviewing each other's work very carefully. We do a lot of uh, extensive testing. We, we've built some fairly sophisticated testing, um, testing suites. We've engaged auditors. We've engaged uh, peer reviewers. We're putting, setting up a bag, bug bounty, actually. Um, so that will be going live very soon. You heard it here first. And going forward, you know, there's going to be more audits, more code reviews. I mean, there's... There's no clear way in crypto to avoid exploits. The only thing you can do is uh, an excessive caution, right? So 
what we do is what everybody does, which is try our best to build a protocol that's safe. One thing I can say is we do we do have extremely extensive test coverage. Uh, our tests currently take 50 minutes to execute. Uh, there's a lot of tests going on there, and we do both uh, automated and manual testing, and we test not only the protocol but also all the, um, let's say, ancillary services around the protocol. So we've uh, we started quite early on with extensive quality assurance and that's something that obviously we need to improve on right uh, i think the whole industry needs to improve the quality assurance but uh, we're getting there you know you don't hear as many people nowadays complain about ux for example because the whole industry has improved a lot i think with security it's going to be um continuous battle right we we have to keep improving the um, the tools at our disposal to improve that security. But, uh, yeah, all we can do is do our best. Developing product in DeFi, especially on protocol level, uh, always means you have to be in close contact with a lot of people in crypto community. Uh, who are people or products that helped you out? Who would you like to highlight specifically? Um, you mean who helped us out in the product development? Yeah, yeah. So many people. <laughs> I've been in a, I mean, we've been in and out of so many group chats, so many communities, so many calls with so many different people. It's impossible to pinpoint on, on someone specific. But overall, yeah, that's a really, really hard question to answer because there's so many people I would, uh, I would thank. Um, one thing I would say that kind of, influenced my design a lot was a post uh, a few years ago by Brian Flynn, which was about the difference between building an application and building a protocol. That was, uh, again, very early on. So, you know, before a lot of the stuff, you know, today was built, but what it was uh, basically talking about was the difference between building a, an application, which solves for one use case very well versus building a protocol where other developers have, a lot of opportunities to build uh, on top of. And that was a pivotal moment for us in uh, really understanding that what we were building had to enable as much as possible, right? That there was a lot of value in building a protocol that had such, um, that, that had a very broad uh, creative surface, basically. That had, um, it was like a toolbox with a tool for everyone in it, rather than building uh, an application that did recurring payments, full stop, right? And again, that was very important because ultimately, if you look at how Superfluid is used today, it's not for your traditional recurring payments, right? We initially were very keen on the subscription use case. And that while that is something we fully expect will happen, it hasn't happened yet. At the moment, it's salaries, streaming investments, and creative hackathon use cases, right? So... If we'd built specific features to enable subscription payments, then all these other use cases wouldn't have happened. So I'd say that was probably the most uh, influential article on me uh, and in the way we designed Superfluid to basically avoid picking winners too early and simply building a, an open protocol, which um, is helpful for everyone.
Enabling businesses, employees, investors seems like a really, really great idea, which kind of should sell itself. Uh, but let's consider the worst possible scenarios. What, what difficulties in onboarding and getting access for the new users do you see? There's so many problems. <laughs> it's, um, it's very hard to get people to look at crypto as a payment technology. Um, people are still thinking of crypto as a, an investment technology, right? And obviously it's, I mean, there's a reason for that, right? It's, um, it's been a very good investment. Like everybody who's invested in crypto is probably in the green, right? Maybe not from the last uh, six months, but, you know, in general, it's been a very good investment technology. So a lot of people think of it as an investment technology. But actually, the roots of crypto are in payments, right? Um, that said, there's never been, um, there's never enough work that has been put into building good frameworks for things like accounting, things like uh, business operational software for managing crypto, um, business custody. Yeah. All of these things are still um, are still very raw. They're not quite ready. Uh, even if you think of uh, DAOs, right, their operations are still very rudimentary compared to traditional businesses. You don't have those kind of uh, business automation tools that people in uh, – in the West with kind of solid banking infrastructure are used to, right? Um, we do think Superfluid is, is one of the keys here, right? Because until now, you couldn't even automate your employee payments in crypto. You had to go and manually pay salaries every month using a multisig, right? Now, for the at the very least, you can use Superfluid, open a stream, start streaming money to your employees, and you don't have to touch that again, right? You just keep streaming the money, no transactions needed, you don't have to touch the, the stream at all, and you keep paying everyone completely automated, right? So we think that's actually a, a significant step in what business automation for Web3 will look like. But that doesn't solve all the problems, right? There's still how do you account for it, right? How do you do tax reporting? How do you, um, how do you properly, you know, hedge the currency risk? How do you, you know, manage permissions to access that multisig. There's all sorts of things that uh, business adoption will uh, need that are currently, honestly, under uh, underinvested in. There's not that many people um, basically investing in companies that solve these problems. And I think that's going to be the next big wave of um, of startups in crypto because realistically. At the moment, most of crypto is built either for very big uh, single-focus institutions like uh, funds or for individuals, right? But uh, the middle layer that will allow small to medium enterprises, you know, normal businesses to manage crypto on a daily basis, right? Get paid in crypto on a daily basis, pay their employees in crypto on a daily basis. This kind of stuff just doesn't exist at the moment which is a huge uh, pain point for us because those are the people that we would really like to help, right? The small businesses that could really um, benefit from getting paid every second because it would improve their cash flow are currently not very well served. So it's definitely a, a big challenge, uh, but I'm very, very bullish on this community. I think, you know, there's so many people that really believe in what we're building and really believe that, um, you know, with technology, we can solve uh, pretty much any problem, any challenge. So very bullish on, uh, on the fact that we'll be able to, to find uh, solutions to these problems.
from benefits from everyone let's uh, let's talk about benefits for you uh, could you please explain what's your business model what are the different ways you're making money and planning to do it uh we're not making any money actually uh so it's a bit of a, a tricky thing um we we think streams should not be um should not be should not have fees right um Having been in the space for a while, I've seen the pain of paying transaction fees, right? Like people don't want to pay gas fees and we don't want to add to that pain. So we don't currently have any plans to charge uh, for streams. So we, we think the protocol should, uh, should stay as close to the blockchain as it can, which means avoid, uh, you know, adding too much friction avoid uh, adding fees, which is tricky because obviously, you know, we have investors that expect a return and that's something that uh, we're considering. I do think um, in crypto, there's a lot of ways to create value that don't necessarily require us to have a um, positive cash flow, right? So that's something that we'll probably explore more this year. Uh, as we, you know, as the the protocol matures a bit and the community keeps growing, but uh, yeah, at the moment we don't have a business model. All right, uh, let's talk about the market more broadly. Is there anyone who you consider your competitors? Mm, not really. I mean, there's been <laughs> there's been some copycats on Solana, but I mean, who hasn't been copied by someone on Solana, right? Uh, I don't consider that really <laughs> like. Uh, competitor um but in the ethereum space which is what matters we don't really have uh any competitors there are a few a few products which use similar words and uh are very kind of laser focused on solving a specific issue so for example there's protocols that are very good uh, for vesting right where maybe superfluid uh, could be used for vesting but it's not optimized for vesting Right. And that's, uh, you know, goes back to, to what I was discussing before. We built Superfluid to be um, very open and have a very broad creative surface. But what that means is it's not it's not uh, basically tailor focused on fixing one problem. So there's always going to be um, applications which come up and build a vertical product that solves a very specific problem very well. Right. But that, that's, we don't consider that a competitor because we are kind of lower down in the stack, if you know what I mean. Um, we believe there will be applications built on Superfluid which will outcompete those uh, competitors because effectively they will run on more open infrastructure, right? So the way we we don't kind of think of competition as much as we think of building the best product we can and attracting as big of a community of developers as we can. And I actually recognize quite a few names in here as people who have participated in hackathons with us. So I'm very excited to see what our community can build on top of the protocol and, you know, in helping them be successful, not so worried in, you know, what other people in the space might build to try and compete with us because we're we're playing a different game and we're kind of probably more long-term oriented than most other people in the space. It's kind of very deep and interesting game plan. Can you share with us uh, product goals for the future? So at the moment, Superfluid can be used 
for a couple of things. So you can use Superfluid to send streams of money. So from one user to another user over time, uh, you can use Superfluid to send recurring uh, distributions to a lot of users. So for example, imagine I send everyone in this chat an NFT, and then every day I want to send everyone, you know, one token, right? You can you can do that with Superfluid in a very very scalable way. Um, you guys can trade the NFTs, and whoever's owning the NFT gets a distribution. So this is another uh, functionality of Superfluid. We don't discuss as much because it's a bit harder to explain, but it's uh, extremely powerful. Now, one of the next big big uh, features we're going to build uh, for Superfluid will actually combine these two functionalities so that we can create uh, recurring streaming distributions. So I can basically set up a distribution to all of you users, and you will all receive a stream of money uh, over time. And then basically I can, uh, with one transaction, change that amount. So if I'm streaming $100 with one transaction, I can start streaming $1,000. So I don't know if that made sense, but it's a, a very scalable way of making uh, massive uh, streaming distributions. So that's kind of the, the biggest uh, feature that we're expecting. We will be also um, revamping a lot of our product lines. So if anybody here has uh, used our dashboard, there's going to be um, some significant changes there. For anyone who's uh, familiar with us, we're currently deployed on Polygon and XDAI. But we are basically setting ourselves up to be deployable by the community on any EVM chain. And I fully expect Superfluid will be available everywhere. Um, later, Maybe not this year uh, to every blockchain, but uh, in the next uh, couple of years, probably to every blockchain. And ultimately, that will mean a lot of maintenance, but it would also mean that, you know, anyone in the crypto space is able to to use us for, for payments, which is, you know, what we exist for. Apart from that, building more tools for developers. Um, Superfluid is a developer-focused platform. We, um, we are only successful in as much as we enable other developers to build uh, very cool and useful applications on top of us. So building, you know, tooling, and uh, infrastructure for those developers is uh, very important for us. Can you see any big roadblocks that lie ahead and uh, not related to tech? I mean, regulation, definitely. Um, but it's it's a roadblock, right? You, you know there's a road ahead and you just have to get past the roadblock. It's not thing I expect will in any way be able to to stop uh, any of our plans but it's definitely it could definitely slow us and the whole industry down it so that's something that uh, we are looking very keenly at uh, you know as most uh, crypto projects we are you know global by definition so there's a lot of things that we have to keep in mind and a lot of different jurisdictions that we have to keep an eye on um, so I definitely think, yeah, overzealous regulators could uh, could definitely slow down the industry, but definitely not stop it. Uh, so yeah, that's that's probably the main one. Apart from that, in terms of non-tech uh, problems, I guess I mean, <laughs> more generically, we could see uh, war. <laughs> I mean, I'm in I'm in uh, at the moment I'm in Europe, very close to the border with Russia. So you know, that's definitely something that we're also thinking about. 
Apart from that, you know, we could see massive inflation in the world. I don't know. These are all things that could uh, slow down the industry. But at the same time, crypto is anti-fragile and it's built to withstand these kinds of attacks. And it's a technology that's ultimately built to, you know, give people more freedom and give people more options. So however bad the global situation becomes, I think more and more people will turn to crypto improve their personal, uh, you know, financial security and freedom. So I'm not too worried. I do think there will be things that can slow us down. But uh, at the same time, you can't really slow down a train. You know, it'll just keep going. We'll be fine. Maybe when the global situation becomes worse, it's kind of better for crypto and DeFi. Yeah, I mean, um, it's possible, right? I, I hope it doesn't become worse, right? I don't want to be a kind of fear monger or, you know, a doomsday um, hoper. I'm, I'm not a prepper. I, I really hope uh, nothing bad happens. But at the same time, I do think a lot of the technologies we build are built to help people in bad situations, right? Like one of the things that most uh, that kept me in the industry during the bear market were the stories of people from Venezuela that we were helping escape the terrible situation they were in, right? So, uh, like, I have a strong connection with these kinds of stories where crypto is helping people escape hyperinflation, helping people, you know, emigrate uh, without getting all their money stolen at the border. These kinds of stories uh, were kind of very important in my crypto journey. So whatever comes, I know that what we're building is helpful to people and can help people overcome these bad situations which are general generally caused by you know bad governments bad governments bad um, monetary policy all of these things that are outside of our control are you know can negatively impact people but the technology we're building crypto empowers individuals right it gives people control uh, over their own lives and that's you know basically the reason why i like this industry right because we're helping people to protect themselves uh, against things they can't control, like the government. Thank you for all these insights. Your your infinite game approach to product development is uh, is really great, and I hope it will be fruitful. But we'd like to get to know you better. We believe people invest in people, as I said, and that's why we ask our guests to spend some time on personal questions. Oh, no. We want to <laughs> understand your values and how they influence your decisions. And uh, and my first question is, uh, when you think of the world successful in crypto or DeFi, who's the first person who comes to mind and why? Successful. Interesting. Who's successful in crypto? Um, <laughs> okay, a bit, a bit of a, a funny take maybe. I think uh, one of the most successful people in crypto is Charles Hoskinson. Because he's uh, managed to create a community of people who believe in the stuff he says, right? Like he can say anything and people still believe him. And for someone that's, you know, clearly got some sort of narcissistic inclinations, that's uh, definitely what success looks like. Apart from that, I think there's a ton of people that are successful in crypto. You know, anyone who, anyone who you read of who's left their jobs, you can think of as successful. Right. Because they probably left their jobs because they now have financial freedom and that enables them to work on what they want to work. Right. They they can work on, on the things they really believe in. Uh, every time I, I see someone, you know, announce on Twitter, oh, I, dr- I dropped out from school, oh, I left my 
nine to five job to jump into web three, right? Those, those are the stories that I work for. You know, those, those are the stories that, uh, that I think define what this industry is about, right? It's about empowering people, giving people more options, more opportunities, more, um, control over their lives. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, my feed is full of people who, who are successful by this metric, and I hope uh, we can mint more more successful people going forward. The crypto landscape is uh, very mosaic, and a lot of people with different uh, opposing opinions. What do you consider the worst advice you see or hear in DeFi or crypto? Good question. Um The worst advice in, in DeFi or in crypto? I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I would say... So many of them, it's hard to pick up, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to pick up. So, so, so many, so many bad, uh, advices you, you hear. <laughs> But, uh, um, I'd say any, a lot of people are very short-term, uh, focused. And if you, you know, if you look at a, even a, a trading graph, Right. On the, on a short term basis, crypto is, is gonna, is gonna kill you. Right. It's gonna destroy you. You're gonna, you're gonna get wiped out completely and you're gonna lose all your money and probably instead of empowering you and all those nice things we were talking about, it will do the opposite. Right. So, but that's a matter of how you think of uh, what you're doing and how you, um, you know, what the, your time scale is. Right. So I think one of the things that, uh, I don't know what the worst advice is, but I know what the best advice is. And I think the best advice is any advice that uh, basically allows you to free yourself from looking at charts too often, unless you're a professional trader. Like, I think if you spend your time looking at charts, you're going to be unhappy. Like, ultimately, it's, it's a, um, you know, trading is a game best played by professional traders. Everybody else is just uh, feeding the whales. And I think there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more to be found in this industry by building things that solve people's uh, problems that, you know, uh, make the future a better place and all these, you know, all the kind of good feelings that you get by, by actually building things rather than, you know, just short term trading or, you know, flipping NFTs or whatever people do these days to, to make some money, right? There's nothing bad in making money short term, but I do think, This industry isn't where it is today because people were trading. It is where it is today because while people were trading, other people were building, you know, interesting financial products. They were building uh, interesting uh, cryptography. They were building interesting, um, you know, distributed systems. These were the things that brought the industry to be where it is today, right? And I think uh, being able to focus on that, focus on on what the the values of the industry are, rather than kind of the short-term trends or the short-term um, kind of profitable trading opportunities is where the, you know, the real satisfaction comes from. Thank you for that. Uh, if I remember it right, uh, it's some of the favorite Peter Thiel's questions. Uh, what is something you believe that other people think is insane? Um, I, I, okay, this is not, not got much to do with crypto, but, uh, I think, uh, real estate is a terrible investment. And why is that? Uh, well, it's a bit of a long, uh, argument, but basically I believe real estate is a Ponzi scheme 
that is propped up by a um, long list of government policies and central bank policies that is ultimately a bad investment because houses deteriorate, right? When you buy a house, it's not uh, it's not a piece of land, right? Land is a good investment, but houses deteriorate, yeah. they get old, you have to maintain them, you have to pay taxes on them, you can't take them away with you when you leave a country, right? They're basically a, an asset. Well, they're not an asset. That's actually my point. They're more of a liability, right? But conventional wisdom is that it's the best investment you could do, right? You should buy a house. Like you're, you're, you should get a job and as soon as you can get a mortgage, buy a house, right? Actually, I believe that's part of the, part of the biggest problems that our generation is facing is because we place so much value in real, real estate investment and real estate investment at this stage is a game that's completely rigged towards boomers. And effectively, by buying a house, you're simply making your parents' generation richer, but not um, yours, right? Because you're buying at the top of the market, um, it's unlikely to go further up, making everybody's rent more expensive, making it even f- harder for people on the kind of uh, lower lower earning uh, parts of society to even get a house to rent, right? So yeah, overall, I think the housing market is a complete uh, is a complete disaster, and um, yeah, that <laughs> that's a rather controversial opinion, I think. Yeah, kinda yeah. As we as we started to talk about life beyond decentralized finance, what obsessions do you explore on the evenings or weekends, or any free time if if, if you have it? So. I must say I'm probably a bit of a crypto nerd at this point, so <laughs> there's not that many things that I obsess about in any meaningful way. Uh, but I am also a language nerd, so I speak uh, five languages, and I am currently learning a sixth language, so that's something I I, obs- I wouldn't say I obsess uh, with, but I am uh, I'm very close close to yeah a lot of kind of linguistics um, exploration and things like that. So you're constantly learning all your life, basically. Aren't we all? Uh, I, I can't say that every one of us is constantly learning. Yeah, exactly. That's... I mean, I think to make it in crypto, you have to you have to keep uh, keep an open mind and keep learning, right? Changing opinions on some issue is the sign of a of an open-minded person. What have you changed your mind about in the last few years, and why? Uh, I mean, honestly, uh, pretty much everything. <laughs> like, um, it's hard to, not to change, uh, change your mind when circumstances change, right? Um, I think, yeah, I've changed my mind on a lot of, a lot of things. I'm not sure what a good example would be, but, uh, I'm, I'm kind of used to changing my mind quite often. On crypto specifically, maybe, I used to be closer to the idea of uh, sound money, like, uh, you know, Bitcoin, 21 million, scarcity, etc. And that's definitely something where I'm not so excited about anymore. I've kind of come to realize it's just, uh, it's just a meme, right? Like it's a, it's a, a nice meme because it's easy to understand, but that doesn't make, it doesn't make it a good meme. It's just uh, popular. Um, so, yeah, I, I used to be a lot closer to the idea that uh, sound money was inherently good and now just think it's uh, inherently good to pump your bags. 
it kind of implies that uh, all this is a zero-sum game. No, no, and absolutely it, not. Absolutely not. But if if you speak to Austrian economists, uh, they'll they'll often say that sound money is inherently good. Like, an economy without sound money is corrupt. Um, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think there are other ways of organizing the economy around different sorts of currencies and monetary policies. That's all. Yeah, I, I just say I'm, I've become a bit more open-minded in terms of what economic, uh, of sorry, what monetary policy could look like. And that's, you know, also because of how DeFi has evolved, right? If you if you look back to maybe three or four years ago, there was only one cryptocurrency, right? And then there were a ton of shit coins and there were some tokens that it wasn't really clear if they were currencies, right? Um, Ethereum wasn't meant to be a currency. It wasn't talked about as a currency uh, three or four years ago. Obviously, now it is, right? If you look at my profile, I've got the ultrasound money um, emojis there. I mean, I think it's a great meme. and I think Ethereum is a currency. But that's something that, you know, a lot of the industry has had to change their mind on because it wasn't ever thought to be the case. It wasn't meant to be the case. It wasn't built to be the case. So I think the idea of um, having multiple currencies uh, competing and these currencies having, you know, radically different monetary policies is uh, a bit more of a new concept. Yeah, that exactly was my point. Why do we have, uh, have to have only Bitcoin as a sound money? Okay, let's forget for a second about it. Everyone in DeFi lives at crazy pace. It's challenging to stay in shape, and uh, it's very important to have a daily routine. Do you have any morning rituals? What do the first 60 minutes of your day look like? Um, The first 90 minutes of my morning are reading messages on Discord. Um, I wake up in the morning and it's just, uh, you know, all the American community, all the Chinese community just flooding uh, every channel I have. So my morning ritual is just catching up with uh, the last eight hours that I slept through, which is not as glamorous as, you know, some people go swimming in the ocean or something. But, uh, yeah, I'm just on Discord. It seems like every one of our guests uh, has the same routine. <laughs> That's, uh, that makes me feel better, man. Thanks. What would constitute a perfect day for you? Um, I'd say probably being at a being at a crypto conference. They're so, so fun. Um, that's that's uh, kind of the best days I can think of uh, in the past year, or probably some of the crypto conferences I went to. Obviously, uh, there are a lot more. Well, I get to see friends I, I don't see very often, right? All the industry friends living in different parts of the world. I mean, you know, we're on Discord all day, but that doesn't make up for in-person meetings, right? That's ultimately everybody, one of the disadvantages of being in a global industry is that everybody's in a different part of the world, right? So some of my friends live in the U.S., some of them live in Asia, and I only get to see them at conferences. So conferences are a bit of a an important uh, time to, to kind of reconnect with uh, with long-lost friends, if that makes sense. Are you going to Denver? Yeah, absolutely. If, if anybody here is going to Denver, come and visit our booth. Uh, there's going to be some uh, some fun stuff you can do. We can give you a T-shirt, and uh, we can uh, talk about how bad my morning routine is. <laughs> uh, from perfect days, let's talk about 
perfect places. Is there some place in the world that you have visited that you felt really had an impact on who you are today? Um, yeah, actually. So when I was in high school, I actually um, I, I lived in Japan for a year. When I was uh, in high school, I went to a Japanese high school. I kind of uh, you know lived in their uh, society for a year, and yeah, that that changed who I am in a very significant way. Um, a lot of people who know me would uh, would confirm that uh, kind of uh, became a slightly different person because of that. And yeah, and not necessarily in a good way, <laughs> but uh, but it definitely kind of changed uh, how I view the world. And one thing I'd say is uh, I don't necessarily like um, certain things about Japan, but it definitely made me understand that there are a lot of people that have very different approaches to life in general. And that, uh, you know, set me on a path of not, uh, of never thinking that anything is the best way of doing something, right? So, you know, for example, some people think they had the best, um, I don't know, the best uh, childhood or they went to the best school, right? Traveling to the other side of the world when I was 16 kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there's just too many different things going on for anyone to have the best of anything, and any way of doing things is always just one of the ways to do them. Uh, I guess it just kind of opened my mind a bit to how, how big the world is. Can you share with us uh, what is the best or most worthwhile investment you have made? It is not necessarily an investment of money. It could be an investment of time, manager, or any other resources. Um, yeah, definitely the best investment I made was jumping into crypto in, uh, in 2000. Uh, 17, 18, because, you know, it, it was a very bad financial decision because I could have, you know, easily stayed working on different things and just invested in crypto, right? I could have just put money into it, but instead I left my job and I spent basically a full year just learning stuff, teaching myself about programming, teaching myself, you know, about how the technology worked. And if I hadn't done that investment in time, if I hadn't done that, um, you know, that deep dive into how the tech worked, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am now, right? I wouldn't be in a situation where I actually understand how this stuff works, understand how to design um, protocols, understand how the applications are built. So, you know, building, building the company and the, the protocol that we're building, if I hadn't done that investment of time, would be very difficult. So the best investment I made was simply deciding that this was something worth spending time on, regardless of the immediate financial um, incentives, which is why, you know, I, I keep talking about kind of thinking long term, right? Because if, if I hadn't thought long term, when Ether went to $70, you know, I would have left. Like my investments were down. I'd already invested, you know, um, almost a year basically working in crypto. And my investment were almost at zero. Everybody was telling me that this was the end, right? So if I hadn't believed in what I was doing, I would have left as well. So, you know, that initial kind of period of um, investment of time built my conviction to withstand whatever the market threw at us. And that was, that, that was what led me to be where I am today. It's not over until it's over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> impactful investments. Let's turn to little everyday things. What purchase on the hundred bucks has brought you the most benefit and joy? 
some tool will guide you, maybe. It's a very hard question. I guess uh, the, you know what, some um, uh, sounds of what, noise, uh, noise canceling uh, earphones. If nobody's ever used those, they're amazing. You can go through a plane, uh, a plane trip without hearing any of the babies crying. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I can't imagine my life without them. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I only got one uh, six months ago, so I can remember my life without them. Proceeding with small everyday things that have an impact, do you have the book or books you have given most as a gift or recommend to anyone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd recommend one is uh, it's a book called The Hard Thing of Hard Things, which is by uh, uh, Ben Horowitz. Uh, the other one is Radical Markets by Glenn Weil. I think they're both really, really good books. One is about more the startup journey, you know, building conviction, you know, working hard, making hard decisions, but kind of that that um, tenacity, right? And the fact that basically you'll always have imposter sy- syndrome, right? That's very important because imposter syndrome is toxic, right? If you think you're not good enough to do something, you won't do it. Uh, and the truth is nobody's good enough to do it, but some people just do it anyway and they manage, right? So that was kind of the, the most important lesson from that book. And the other book I mentioned, uh, Radical Markets from Glenn Weil, I think it's a very good introduction to uh, the power of markets, but it's also very mind-opening, right? So like a lot of people approach markets from a very, well, either from the left or from the right uh, or from, you know, the more liberal point of view or the more uh, maybe planned economy point of view. But this is a book about markets, not about kind of political ideology necessarily. And it, it's a very, I think, very interesting book for anyone designing systems as well, because it's it gives some very concrete examples of how the world could be significantly different if some of the assumptions we make of how the market is structured were changed and challenged. So, yeah, for me, it was very important to kickstart kind of some of the economic design that's fed into the design of Superfluid as well. Talking about books, do you have any quote you live your life by? Or think about often. It's um, not really. Uh, there's a yeah. No, I, I can't come up with a with a quote that I would say is uh, is something that I would uh, I would say I live my life by. But there are a couple that I've I've decided that I would prove wrong. Uh, one of them is a Japanese uh, saying, which is that the the nail that sticks out will be hammered down uh, and I've decided that even if I might get hammered down it's worth uh, sticking out anyway but uh, I don't think uh, that's what what, it, what that saying was meant to to make me think let's reframe it if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it what would it say what would it say um I guess live your life for yourself, not for what somebody else tells you you should live your life for. But it's a bit of a mouthful. could probably rephrase that a bit better. I, I think a lot of people would uh, would benefit from being a little more selfish, thinking a bit more about themselves. Let's dream a little. If you have a crystal ball, and crystal ball could tell you the truth about the future or anything else, what would you want to know? About the future, um, I mean, that's assuming 
the deterministic future, I, which is not something I I believe in. So that's that's a hard question. <laughs> like I I don't think you can predict. You I don't think you can look in the future because the future hasn't happened yet. Um, you can't kind of. Maybe it's about present. Future. One of the answers uh, was who's uh, Satoshi. Oh, but I don't think we should we should ever find that out. That would that would ruin the fun, honestly. <laughs> like, I think the mystery around Satoshi is part of the it's part of the cool things, right? It's like, would you look back and find out if you know? Would you look back in the past and see if you know Jesus really did the things he did? That would spoil the book, you know. It's the same thing with Satoshi. If we know who he is, it, it just kind of ruins the whole. The whole story, so I definitely wouldn't wouldn't do that. Maybe it's Charles Hoskinson. <laughs> that that would be really funny, actually, <laughs> if it were Charles Hoskinson. It, it, uh, it will would, not ruin the fun at all. It, that would, uh, but but you see, if 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 you told me l- this machine is gonna look back in the past and tell you who Satoshi is, and we use that mach- machine and we find out it's Charles Hoskinson, we're not gonna believe the machine is working. <laughs> Uh, what advice would you give your five, ten years younger self? Buy more Bitcoin. Excellent <laughs> advice. <laughs> I mean, that's, is, is that what everybody says? Uh, not everybody, but it's kind of... It's kind of cliche, right? Maybe. Some people have lists of crazy things like skydiving, going to Antarctica, Everest, going into space. Is there something you've dreamed of doing for a long time? Uh, definitely going to space. That sounds, uh, sounds like something worth, uh, working for. But I think we're a few years away from that. So. But, but, but it's not very comfortable. Why do you want to visit? Oh, just to, I, I like views. I think that's the ultimate view is from space, right? Great. For what in your life do you the most grateful? Um, I feel very grateful for, I guess, um, I mean, the people who, who stuck around uh, in the bear market, definitely. Uh, the people who believed in superfluid when uh, it was full bear market, you know, when nobody believed what we were doing made any sense and people still stuck around and invested in us. That was, you know, something I'm extremely grateful, uh, grateful for. Very grateful to our first employees who, you know, kind of took a chance on, uh, on us as first-time entrepreneurs, you know, doing what we were doing. And also, our, you know, our, our, our community members as well, because, you know, they, they keep showing up in our Discord, uh, hoping, hoping that, uh, you know, Superfluid will, will grow every day. Awesome. And I have last question for you. Do you have any ask or request for our audience? Some last parting words? Um, I'd say just... Everyone check out what we're building. You know, don't uh, don't try and make it fit into an investment decision necessarily, but just try and think of what it means and what it could uh, enable in the future and try and imagine what that future would look like. That's that's what I, you know, I'd, I'd really like people to, to do when they look at Superfluid. I know in crypto, we have a tendency to think of things as investable, at the moment, Superfluid is not investable, so all you can do with it is think of how it could, you know, change what the future looks like. And if that's interesting to you, uh, join our Discord, because that's where 
most of these conversations are happening and where, you know, the builders who are actually building those applications that will use streaming money and some of the technology we're building to change that future are, are being built. So, yeah, come and, come and join us on Discord, you know, come and build with us in, in a hackathon or just, uh, you know, help us come up with good ideas to build on top of the protocol. Any advice for those who build right now at, uh, at the bear market? Uh, it's not a bear market, man. <laughs> this is not a bear market. Um, I think uh, this is absolutely not a bear market for anyone. For anyone who uh, who is willing to build anything useful, this is absolutely still a bull market. There's a there's two things happening, right? On on the surface, you look at kind of crypto prices, but if you look further down, what's happened is we've had a year and a half or two years of capital accumulation in venture capital funds. Like venture capital funds raise money, right? They raise money and then they invest the money. And these venture capital funds have spent almost two years now raising money. What this means is they've built pitch decks, they've talked to people, they've promised people that crypto is the future, they've promised people that crypto is going to change the world, and that there's a ton of good investments. And that's true. But the fact that, you know, people who are capital allocators have formed very strong conviction on in the industry means that regardless of short-term movement in the prices of Bitcoin or Ethereum, the long-term trend is still there because there's going to be capital for any good idea, any good uh, startup, any good company, coming up in the space is going to be able to um, attract investors. And that's ultimately what uh, will make this industry um, keep going in the future. That was exactly the answer I was hoping for, because few understand this. Yeah, people get too hung up on uh, short-term prices. But trust me, this is not a bear market. This uh, this was just uh, the, first, uh, the first round of a very, very long bull cycle. The, the amount of companies, the amount of startups, the amount of projects, crypto is set to basically take over every aspect of, uh, of uh, you know, the technology industry. So whatever you want to build, there's, there's room for it. And definitely, you know, open to help anyone uh, starting on the startup journey or on, you know, building a, a DeFi product or building a, a web-free application. You know, hit me up, join our Discord. Let's you know, let's discuss it. I think there's a lot of opportunities to, to build. We are all going to make it. We're absolutely all going to make it. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate speaking with you. Thank you for inviting, Roman. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. And thanks to all our listeners. We are glad to have you here. And that is all.